welcome to the 15-minute juice, where we discuss physical therapy, rehabilitation, return to sport after injury, training, and all things fitness, while also answering burning daily questions, broach the juiciest weekly topics, and educate the masses on the proper algorithm for optimizing their lifestyle. It's fast, it's concise, it's informative, it's juicy. All right, we in? We are in. Nice. All right, so uh, welcome back to the 15-Minute Juice. Uh, Like we said, this is uh, getting us some short, concise, informative answers to questions on common um, ACL in particular, uh, but other rehab injuries. But I do have a question today for you, Mike, and it goes – my daughter is three months post-op ACL reconstruction using the quad tendon and a small meniscus repair. She's been doing great and has full flexion and extension. Lately, she's noticed that when she's fully extending her leg, that she feels a shifting sensation in her knee when she bends it again. No pain, just a weird feeling. Have you had any experience with this? All right, so it sounds like if it is true per the mom's reports that she has full range of motion, then you know there's not any limitation in, in the joint or the tissue. So if she really has the full extension and the full flexion, then we know that's good. If it's the, based upon the movement, then it's the motor control issue. So if she had a quad tendon um, graft, then you know that that part there, there could be some residual dysfunction in terms of the uh, strength of the quad, um, the capability of the quad to extend the knee, especially upon eccentric control. And maybe if there's any scar tissue or soft tissue restrictions there that, you know, she's feeling maybe the patella is not tracking 100% right or might feel a little bit different. Uh, So I think there's no pain. That's probably what she's feeling, some of that. I'm curious if that is in open kinetic chain, which it sounds like, or if it's in closed kinetic chain, uh, but that's kind of what well, that's kind of what the picture that's being painted there. That's what I think. Yeah, it doesn't really say here whether when she notices it, whether it's like walking up steps, whether it's running. Well, actually, she wouldn't be running yet. My fault that she's at at, at three months. Um, but just in and you know what exercises um, again up and down steps. She's I'm sure she's able to do that at this point, but just the shifting there. Um, now, with the meniscus repair, would that matter if it was medial or lateral? Uh, it depends on the severity, obviously, of the uh, repair. Um, you know, how, how many sutures. Seems like a lot of the soccer players that we've been seeing, you know, it's like a minor tear, so they put one little suture in there. It's mostly on the outside portion of meniscus where there's more of that vascularity. Um, it doesn't seem like a lot of them are getting like really, really bad uh, root tears where the meniscus attaches deeper inside the knee. Uh, I still think that has to do with how much 
force they're able to really put on their body with some of these non-contact injuries. I feel like sometimes if there is some excessive force, like another player or, you know, some type of like mild contact or, you know, some type of um, really weird combination of movement with maybe some unstable surface like a muddy or unstable uh, terrain, um, then sometimes you get some of these more like involved injuries like, the, you know, the tears a little bit more involved with the meniscus. But it seems like someone just a straight cutting and pivoting, you get just a little bit of that. And it might just be because of the contact that happens, the femur on the tibia, some of that aberrant movement, and you get a little bit of that tear. Um, but I don't know how much you would get some of that shifting sensation. It really seems like it's related to the quad and uh, some of the patella going on there. So I would look at addressing some of the uh, – what was that? Go ahead. Are you at more of a um... – of, of a chance of patella instability having the quad tendon as your uh, as your graft? Um, I don't know if there's enough to really show that. I think it's one of those things. Again, it comes down to you know individual. You know, where was the you know uh, athlete very hypermobile um, beforehand? Did they have some of that? You know, just an athlete that maybe you know borderline Ehlers-Donlers or does have the full diagnosis of that or, you know, just really lacks and have good motor control. Um, that would be something to consider if you compare it to the other side to see how they are, especially the rest of their joints. Um, so, yeah, those are all things that we could consider, try to rule out. I would first address, obviously, range of motion, then the mobility, uh, the soft tissue, how well that's moving, look at the tracking of the patella. You know, you could look at some of the isolated strength at that point just to see how the quad is firing in the open kinetic chain and the closed kinetic chain positions, you know, what happens in, you know, with the closed kinetic chain, what happens in some of the functional movements, what happens in single leg stance, mini squat positions, even half kneel patterns. And then uh, the more you kind of look at those things, you know, it starts, uh, you can start checking off the boxes as to what is good and what's not. And I think that'll help you draw the decision as to where it's coming from. Gotcha. And that was actually where I was going with that next question was going to kind of just be, you know, what, what would the treatment process kind of look like, um, you know, moving forward with that? Then obviously, since there's really no pain to begin with, it's just a weird feeling. Could that be one of the, uh, one of the potential, like, side effects? Not side effects, but... Uh, Losing the the right word that I want to use there, um, but is is that one of the higher? Does that make you more high risk for that because it's a, a quad tendon uh, graft? I mean, you know, there could be. You know, we could also look at some other things too. You know, what's going on with the hamstrings? Are the hamstrings also in a guarded position? Um, you know, especially when you are straightening the leg. Is there some of that tension back there? And then uh, maybe that's, you know, pulling the knee into a little bit more flexion, having a little bit of drive there. So, um, you know, a couple things to consider with that. I think, uh, you know, the quad tendon, we see that from definitely one of the surgeons, you know, often that we get the patients from. And, um, you know, I, I think that you definitely have to address that area um, and try to clear out all uh, structure limitations uh, to be able to make sure if it's not coming from, you know, obviously the um, 
structures doesn't seem to join or the soft tissue or any of that, scar tissue uh, versus the motor control. Yeah, and also here it doesn't – does age of the athlete play into this at all? Well, we know that the recent studies were showing that, you know, uh, age is highly correlated with the ACL tear. So we're going to revisit that topic a lot because more research is going to come out to keep enforcing that, um, you know, that concept that from, you know, that 14 to 18 range, sometimes you get to 12, 13. But really in, in this high school age is where, the kids start maturing and that's where the highest risk of the tearing occurs because of the combat between the uh, forces and, you know, the loading and the engagement and activity they want to do versus their body's ability to grow and to adapt, you know, not even only into the demands that they want to put their bodies through, but also just demands of just dealing with hormones and growth spurts and all that. So, you know, it always spirals down to that loaded question. There's so many different things going on, um, especially at that high school age. Now, if you're looking at, you know, a co collegiate athlete, a little higher level, maybe has a foundation and maybe just, you know, bad tear under fatigue or something like that, or, you know, a contact style injury, you know, um, they might have a little bit more of a foundation than, you know, a 14-year-old female who really has developed a good foundation and had to tear. So there could be, you know, at a collegiate athlete, a higher level of uh, strength underlying there, or they're good understanding of motor control, um, where maybe there might not be that many limitations. But on the flip side, higher level athletes find ways to compensate. You know, they get into the grind of doing things one way or another. So they uh, can, you know, um, reinforce certain patterns in their bodies, and that could also be something you have to undo. So the reason why they got to where they were is because they kept hammering poor patterns and loading it. So uh, it's kind of a little bit, it's like a double-edged sword depending on which end you want to go to. So less experienced athlete, because they don't have a foundation, so you have the ability to kind of build that and mold them, whereas a more experienced athlete already has a lot of groundwork under them, and you have to kind of break out old habits. So either way, it still comes back to finding where that important balance of things needs to be. Another, um, I'm reading this question over again, and for a lot of the people that listen, they may not understand what full flexion and full extension looks like at three months. Should they be at that full flexion and full extension, and what are those numbers? Well, the numbers, there's always a textbook, but the numbers will always vary a little bit, especially based on soft tissue approximation. So you have an athlete that has more muscle mass, more tone, um, or, you know, they're going to, uh, I'm sorry, not tone's the right word, but just more muscle mass, or maybe just a bigger individual, you know, their calf might hit the back of their hamstring a little bit sooner. But generally, at the high school level, you know, a lot, especially on the female side, they don't have that much muscle mass. But you never know. There might be a very well-developed um, female who has really good muscle, muscle mass. So their flexion might be a little bit less than someone who doesn't have much muscle mass and is just very, like, hypermobile. So, you know, their flexion might be, like, pushing, like, 
145 end range on their non-surgical side or someone else might be a little bit more into the 130s. But at three months, you know, when you start pushing that range of motion into the flexion, there's going to always be a little bit of that end range discomfort in the knee. That's something that kind of just works itself out, you know, going very, very aggressive in the beginning, especially if, you know, they're really close heel to butt. A lot of that comes, especially due to motor control, as the hamstrings improve and they start doing more activities that promote the knee flexion instead of stretch. And then sometimes, too, as they start training, you know, the muscles start waking up a little bit more and they start being a little bit more active instead of just passive from being in the brace. That when you start stretching them, they get a little bit more of some stiffness, which is important. It's not just like this almost like flaccid leg, per se. So... Deflection, you know, really should be there. Basically, at three months, you don't want them stuck at, like, 90, you know, unless it was a really, really traumatic, like, some cartilage or meniscus or some other stuff that, like, requires a little bit more healing, you know, and you might be going a little bit slower with it um, or more pain, more swelling, something like that. And then the extension, you want to get that right away. I mean, yeah, if you've had three months, I like to see full extension, you know, maybe, like, a little bit of, end range tension, but you should be able to push them into that full straight. Uh, if they have hypermobility, like a little hyperextension on the non-surgical side, you'd like to achieve that on the surgical side. But a lot of that does, which is the uh, natural motor control to get back into doing activity. So, you know, you could push them and get that full extension, but then if they're standing and they're walking and they're not fully straightening it, or when they're coming up out of like a squat, they're not fully straightening it, um, or just some some of the things you're seeing and just how they move. Those are things you want to work on correcting. So it's good to have the range of motion because that tells you that the tissue will get to the points it needs to. But then you need to train the body's ability to bring it to that point as well. Gotcha. Well, that's pretty. Yeah, that's that's 15 minutes of concise, informative information on. You know, an, an ACL question. Uh, we're going to have many of those, you know, still to come. We got some really good news coming soon that I'm still not uh, technically able to talk about just yet. So, uh, probably by our next episode, we will be able to announce uh, some new exciting news coming along. Um, but again, I mean, there's our 15 minutes. It's concise, it's juicy. That's right. That's right. We're going to look to bring more stuff at you. Mike, I appreciate your time. We'll talk soon. All right. Sounds good. See you, buddy. All right.